have a number of scripture passages written in, um, in the bulletins, and um, just as we did last week, these scripture passages are going to be incorporated into the talk itself. Where last week we started talking about um, change and transformation in the context of what is really worth your resolve. And today we're continuing with part two. And I think about this because, especially at this time of year, we're at the beginning of a new year, it's not January 1st, but we're six weeks into the new year. What do we usually think about at this period of time when we think about change and the power to change? A lot of time we think about the word resolutions. If you dare to raise your hand, <laughs> did anyone here make any kind of resolutions for the year to come? I'm saying a number of <laughs> can't see This is one not to answer. You can answer it in your mind. But what kind of resolutions do people usually make? And about 40 to 55% of people, 40 to 45% of people, make some kind of resolution at the beginning of a year. Might be to change something, strengthen something, reduce, doing something less, improve something, work at something. And what kinds of things do we usually resolve to work on? Most popular resolutions, we know them by heart, they're the same every year. Number one resolution every year is what? Yes. <laughs> Lose weight. We would all weigh about two pounds by now. Twenty-five <laughs> percent of people who make resolutions: number one, lose weight; number two, financial. Get our finances in shape. Have more money. Number three. Smoking doesn't really apply to any folks here, I don't think. Number fifth, and I find this intriguing, my number fifth most popular resolution is seeking greater happiness. Fifth on the list. I find this intriguing. Because are people saying we'd rather be thinner, <laughs> make more money, be in better shape, and then fifth, then we'll take happiness. <laughs> so we're walking around looking good, finely toned, I'm happy, I don't know. Whatever. Does, it, does that seem a little out of whack to you? Right? It raises the question for me anyway, what's really worth your resolve? Right? Now, a resolve is defined, which I like, it's defined as a primary and ultimate commitment. So I think the problem with making resolutions is too easily made and therefore too easily broken. According to the Journal of Clinical Psychology, well, 
Yes. Yeah. Wow, that's really coming through. Let's see, we can make my point less strongly here. What happened? All right, you got it? Okay. Apparently, according to the Journal of Clinical Psychology, there's a direct connection with God or something. I don't know. It does something. But um, it says 15% of people who, who, who make a resolution will lose it at the end of the 15%. At the end of when? At the end of January? At the end of the week. Two weeks? 15% will lose their resolve at the end of the first day. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> wow. It's like, this is my ultimate commitment, and at the end of the day, gone. 25% lose the resolve. It's gone at the end of, that's the end of the first week. 36% done by the end of the first month, and then 54% drop the resolve at the end of the sixth month, and then it plateaus. So I think we as human beings are really interesting people. Yeah. So I first heard this and I thought, that's pretty negative, you know, 54%. We, we really want to do something, we, we make a commitment, and then after six months, it's like kaput. We're back to the same place where we were. <laughs> but then it hit me, and I thought, you know what else I see about this? Is it 46% of people who try to make a change actually do it? Right? Yeah. They overcome, they complete. And I think that's a lot, 46%. And then there's the flip side of this, of course, which is that people who don't resolve to do anything in the first place, right? That's a 0% success rate, right? Or a 100% failure rate if you don't try. So I think about this, and, and people are like, oh, you know, 54%, why even bother? I think if you had a 40% chance of winning the lottery, would you try? And how about if you don't win that time, and you have another 40% chance, would you try again? I'd be trying again and again and again. I'd go like, 40%, are you kidding me? It's fantastic. Coaching improves your chances, not of the lottery. But at life, you know, and our faith is that coaching. And you look at our scripture passages, every single one of these messages from God, from Jesus, that's in your bulletins, all, every single one of these is great coaching. And it's telling the truth. That people can change. People do change. People do renew. We can do it. You can do it. I can do it. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are the light of the world. True. The measure you give is the measure you get. You know give, you know get. 
I have plans for you, says your God, plans for your welfare, for good things, not for harm, to give you, and this is with your cooperation, of course, because God doesn't force anything on you. So to give you, with your cooperation, a future that is bright with hope. Now, this is the kind of hope that comes through work and effort. And you know what? That's my kind of hope. Which raises the question again, what's worthy of your resolve? What do you really want? And I love it because, man, that's at the heart of what our faith is about. Our faith doesn't talk about losing weight, how physically fit we are, how to boost our financial health, find things. But it doesn't talk about that, but it does talk about the quality of life. Those things that when we are living, we look back on it. What are those things that we would have truly wanted? Because what good is it, Jesus asks, this is one of our scripture passages, what what good is it if you gain the whole world? You have all the stuff. You are physically fit, you're beautiful, you have all the money, but it it just doesn't feel good in here. So today we're focusing on what's those things that are are good inside. Spiritual resolutions. And in the back of your bulletins, this was in last week because I thought I was going to talk about it last week and then things ended up going in a different direction. So it's there again. The 10 spiritual resolutions. It's been put together. I, I put it together from various sources. So we're going to talk about them. The first one that I have on, on my list, and I tell you what, you can look at these things and listen to these things, and you know, if you, if you see something, you hear something that resonates with you, take a pencil or something and, and circle it. You can adapt it, make it your own. Maybe a couple of these things resonate with you, I don't know. The first one on the list is, it's not a new one for me, you can ask Laura. This is, man, this is a re-resolve and re-resolve again because I forget, and then I remember, and I go back to it, and then I forget, and I remember, and I go back to it. One of my lifelong resolves <laughs> is to, I resolve to be brutally optimistic. That's the way I want to live. Another way of saying that is, I resolve to be a person of faith. Same thing. Because to be a person of faith is the opposite of being a person of discouragement or despair, or lack of hope, or lack of faith. Discouragement and despair says, look at everything that's wrong in the world. Look at everything that's wrong in my life. And you know what? Some voices out there say, hey, if it's not wrong, wrong, look at everything that might go wrong. Endless. That's not faith. Try to find that point of view anywhere in the scriptures, in these scripture passages elsewhere. As a model of faith, you're not going to find it. I resolve to stay brutally optimistic and be a person of faith. Hold me to it. Never said it was easy, but it is worthy. 
Which leads to my second, second spiritual resolution, which is let peace begin with me. Me. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, a lot of times it's a battle. I get discouraged sometimes. I get, man, the list of things that we can get discouraged about. I, I can get discouraged about the state of affairs in, in Bridgeport, the state of affairs with our economy, the state of affairs with our educational system, politics, racism, mass shootings, Ukraine. But if I resolve to let peace begin with me, instead of griping, even to myself, about what other people are doing wrong or not doing right, I realize that if I'm genuinely concerned about something, instead of flapping my gums or wringing my hands, I should actually do something about it, for God's sake. For God's sake. And you know what I love about our faith? I love the fact that our faith never lets us get away with saying, oh, little old me, little old me, poor old me, I can't do anything. I'm this much. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not true. We can pray. We can vote. We can write a letter to our, our congressperson. We can support anti-gun violence. I can push my resources, time, attention, abilities, money to those things that I care about. So you know what? Let peace begin with me. If something disturbs my peace, if something disturbs your peace, you don't like it, you really don't like it, I think that's worthy of your resolve. And the more it disturbs you, the more it is worthy of your real resolve, then do something. Take action. Get involved. Never said it was easy, but it is worthy. Use your leverage. Use your power. Use your voice. Use your life. Something is always better than nothing. You know, it's not just on a global scale either. Like, my purpose, what can I do here? How about a personal level? Two, let peace begin with me and my family and my relationships. I take responsibility for what I can do. My actions, my voice, my response to things. Let peace begin with me. Number four, number three, What is worthy of my resolve? Resolving to identify, A, what do I have to offer the world to help others? And then B, share it. Now, <clears throat> there's been many studies on this. Study after study, and these are secular studies, by the way, say that the number one secret of living a, a life of well-being, purpose, happiness, feeling good, worthy as a human being, American Psychological Association, Harvard Health Study, all come up with the same thing. Number one, identifying what do you do, what do you have, 
Who are you as a resource, skill, money, time, mentorship, experience, that you could use to improve other people's lives and then to actually do it? And you feel great. You can volunteer at the Red Cross, Carousel Thrift Shop, serve on a board or committee, sing in the choir, be a shepherd in our, in our shepherds program. We have some people who are doing that, help to mentor an inner city kid with their schoolwork, helping with Horizons, Mercy Learning Center, helping adults for whom English is a second language. They're working their way out of poverty. We have people who help with that. Volunteering to strengthen our community, you know, fellowship hour, bringing people together, making a meal for St. George's community suppers. We have people who do that, donating money. People go, oh, you know, money. Money's powerful. It's a powerful vehicle and it's beautiful because it transmits your energy and intentions. And maybe money is the thing that you have. Maybe you don't have so much time. Maybe you're not a teacher. And you know, we can't fly over to, to Turkey or Syria. So donating money to help them out, that helps. Jesus talked about helping with money a lot. He did. It's, it's, it's just a, a powerful vehicle. So identify what you have to offer and then share it. And notice what it does to your insides. Is the kind of energy that you put out there into the world is the kind of energy that you get back, your choice. And that's not even, that's not a moral thing, that's not a religious thing. That is simply a spiritual way of saying Newton's third law that has to do with energy that he says it in terms of physics, for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction. This is the same that's true with what's going on and what we put out to the world. You can't put out anger and be happy at the same time. It doesn't work that way. Recoil. What you give is what you get. Number four, spiritual resolutions. I resolve to be habitually generous. We always think of money when it comes with that. It's not just money. It is money. But time, compassion, generous with forgiveness. Generous with helping because you become what you give. And again, it starts with you. Number five, resolving to go on a, on a, on a mental diet. <laughs> Not to get mentally thinner, <laughs> but actually to expand. It's been said that sticks and stones will break your bones, but words can scar for life. It's also been said that people, it's people, not elephants, that never forget. So our words can help, our words can encourage, our words can empower, our words can uplift and inspire and give confidence and heal, or our words can demean and discourage and embarrass and belittle and bully and judge 
and they can scar for life. So going on a mental diet includes eliminating the negative. I'm going to clear that. Includes eliminating useless social media, avoiding sharing, avoiding participating in any kind of negativity, resolving and re-resolving. <laughs> I will be a person of light. Think about it. Light doesn't complain that there's darkness. It just keeps on being light. Even if it's just a little light, it does what it does. You are the light of the world, Jesus said in no small way. Things worthy of my resolve. Number six, being a global citizen. I didn't make this one up. I, I think it's fascinating. Listen to this. Do you know that there's a direct correlation between your personal sense of well-being and your openness to other people's ideas and cultures? I think that's really cool. Now, I think about people who I know in regards to that, and I think I see that playing itself out both ways. So can I repeat that, please? There's a direct correlation between your personal sense of well-being and your openness to other people's ideas and cultures. We can become a one-person crusade of consideration. Love that. Number seven, gratitude. One of the most powerful tools in life, if you want to lift your well-being and those around you, is gratitude. Gratitude also is at the heart of our faith. And you can't be happy without being grateful. And you can't be grateful without being happy. Appreciate life more, and your life will appreciate more. But here's a confession. Sometimes when I start my day, the first thing that I do is I look at the weather. I could read the news, emails, to-do list. Why? Because I forget. Because those things are powerful. And I know how it feels when I start my day that way. It's not the way I want to start my day. But then on other days, I remember. And I go, ah, I want to start my day, put it down, giving thanks for one of God's gifts, sunshine, my family, my church, my ability to walk, talk, help others, work, maybe uplift somebody's life. 
to see beauty around me, to breathe. And I start my day that way. And you know what? Day goes better. Weird that it's purely selfish. <laughs> it really is. Now, the other weird thing is, when I do that, right, and, and if you do that, you're still exactly the way you were before. Same problem, same money, same ability, but the day goes better. So the more I intentionally look for things to be grateful for, happier I am. And it's free. Number eight, we're getting close. Spending more. He's like, are you really going to do all these 10 things? We're going to do all these 10 things. Number eight, spending more quality time with people I love. There's a woman who wrote something I really like. She wrote, my husband John and I used to have a wonderful raspberry patch. That's what that means in there. In early years, she wrote, I tended it carefully and it produced fabulous raspberries. And then I got busy with carpools and commitments. And before I knew it, the weeds took over and my raspberries died out. She writes, a marriage and friendships can become like a raspberry patch. We get busy with our career, with our elderly parents, with volunteer needs, with all sorts of things. We say to ourselves, you know, we say things like, I'll spend time on my marriage and my friendships later when life calms down. <laughs> it never does. Don't let the weeds of other important things take over your raspberry patch. Number nine, prayer. So there's a brilliant theologian, you may have heard of him, Hans Kung. He wrote this, you know, this tome uh, on being a Christian, all comprehensive. Somebody pointed out and, and asked him, he said, why did you write your book that's titled on being Christian and it doesn't have a chapter on prayer? I love his honesty. Hans Kung said, I was so busy trying to meet the publisher's deadline that I forgot. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> so, so honest. That's okay, Hans Kung. We forgive you. But, you know, but... It's something because prayer is always the first thing to go with a lot of people. You know, we get caught up in the world's pace. Do not be conformed to this world, our scripture says very simply. So number nine, prayer. Number 10, last one, be selective. Be selective. so many good things in this world to choose from. For one thing, why would you ever choose the bad? But there's so many good things in this world to choose from. We can, we can drown in excess. Too many good things. Why well, we're always trying to lose weight. 
Just last night, I, I was reading this article. It was a CNBC thing, and and um, and it was an interview with our with our neighbor Ray Dalio Bridgewater. And he was at Davos a few years back, and and I love this quote. He, he said, "You can do virtually anything you want." but you can't do everything you want. If you want to be happy, be selective. It's been said, life is not measured by the number of breaths we take, but by the moments that take our breath away. Be selective, it's February 12th. Six weeks gone into 2023. Ten and a half months to go. And the clock is ticking. God has given you a gift for us to choose what is worthy of our resolve. Go for it.